Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We are back to watching The Abominable Snowman, episode three? Three. Episode three. He nodded at me. I did. This is uh, the 18th podcast uh, we've, or you <laughs> have recorded on this couch over the last uh, week, it seems. Um, You know what? You're exaggerating. Am I, though, really? That's not necessarily separate podcast uh, shows, but episodes, I might not be that far off. 18 is way too high. Okay. This is one, two, three, four, plus nine is... 13. Yeah, see, that's not 18. A three looks kind of like an eight, though. <laughs> what? So, Erp Chirp is out, just to give a plug oh, yeah. to some of these other things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we might as well. Let's let's uh, do some cross-promotion on the Incomparable Network. Uh, yes, I started another couch-based podcast on this very couch uh, about the awesome Alberta-based horror western kick-ass chick-based TV show Winona Earp, which Mm. if you're not watching it, you should totally check it out because it's amazing. Uh, So yeah, I'm doing a a rewatch of season one and two with my friends Annette and Kirsten, and season three drops in, or starts airing in July. July 20th on Sci-Fi. Or space, if you're in Canada. That's right. Uh, so we are trying to rush through the first couple seasons to get ready for season three. And it's been super fun. Yeah. And you've done uh, nine episodes of that, which thankfully hasn't eaten too much into the uh, um, the Miss, uh, Lazy Doctor Who mm-hmm. stuff. But we also watched, um, we resumed our Prisoner podcast ever so briefly too, right? Yes, yes. Um, as as we promised on the uh, the prisoner episode of the incomparable flagship flagship show, uh, we are doing a watch of the AMC 2009 version of the prisoner for incomparable members. But we also dropped a little uh, a little episode in the in the village feed um, talking about our like high high level what we thought of the first episode. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we've been we've been all over the place. There's a lot there's a lot going on on this couch. There there is. <laughs> it's not as dirty as you think. It's all podcasting, all of it on this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I'm uh but I'm excited to to be continuing with Lazy Doctor Who. Um a lot of a lot of the time I was recording Herb Chirp, you were busy doing other things. So it's not like we could have done uh, lazy Doctor Who anyway. Um, but the other reason I'm excited to be getting back to this is that uh, I have been listening to Hammer House of Podcast. Mm, yes. Uh, where my Verity co-host Liz and Paul Cornell are watching all of the Hammer horror movies from Equator Mass to the Devil a Daughter. Uh, Devil's Daughter. I think you might be pretty close there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I heard Liz say it uh, when she guessed it on audio guide to Babylon 5 today to talk about yet another podcast so there's more podcasts it's not necessarily at this couch so there could be 18 podcasts total just Mm -hmm. okay yep yep possible anyway um they just covered the hammer horror film is it called the abominable snowman snowman singular yeah okay anyway so i was listening to their podcast about that and being very entertained and then i got to the point where paul was like okay we should probably talk about the similarities between this film and the doctor who story the abominable snowman and i was like whoa stop 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 i had to reach for my phone because i don't i didn't like i i was like we're 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 watching it right now i would like to get through the doctor who story before i hear Paul spoil a you know 50 40 some year old story like 
I don't know that much about it. And I figured it's only going to be, you know, a few more days probably until I get through the whole thing. So Mm. I will just pause Hammer House a podcast. Yep. Watch this for myself, and then I can go back, and it will be super fresh in my mind when I hear the comparisons. So that's uh, that's another motivating factor for me to keep going on this one. Good, I like that because uh, I I recall when I did my first big, or I suppose my last big rewatch when I did a blog back in two thousand nine for the first gap year. Uh, I remember quite liking this one. Um, but I don't necessarily remember, I remember some of the beats of the story, but I don't remember certain incidents. So like some of these stories are brand new for you, mm-hmm. but they're almost kind of brand new for me. Like I'm watching going, I don't remember what happens here. St- things are starting to sort of flicker back into my mind about what's happening. But yeah, I'm intrigued to, to see where this goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, this is, I am really just like super curious about what the heck is going on with this Padma Sambavar person uh-huh. because like okay so he or it or whatever has had dealings with the doctor before clearly knows the doctor and isn't sure if the doctor is going to be on board with whatever whatever he and and the abbot are, are doing to try to get the great intelligence onto earth with a piece of the key to time it looks like <laughs> the pyramid thing the little yeah. perspex pyramid mm-hmm. yeah the, just the prop just totally reminded me of the key to time yeah. because you know anything remotely like the key to time will remind me of the key to time uh so i'm very very underrated by the way (laughs) shut it uh so so yes i'm i'm just mystified by that portion of the story and i can't wait to find out more about what is happening uh but probably the thing that i'm the most excited about is victoria go on oh okay (laughs) she's like she's just a, a moving and a shaking she's the one that figured out that it was the um well, she's the first one that vocalized the idea that the metal metal spheres uh, could be what were inside the Yeti and controlling it. The doctor, the doctor pointed out, which I thought that was nice that he said, well, I did think of that, but it was so light, it was empty. Therefore, like, you know, there couldn't have been any control, controllers in it. Um, but then he's like, well, actually, on second thought. So, so it, it, it is Victoria who brings that up and sort of, you know pushes that forward enough so that they go searching around for it Mm -hmm. um she also is just like implacable she's she is going to get into the inner sanctum no matter what like she just she keeps being told off she keeps being you know captured and and almost locked up and told she doesn't belong there and yet she just keeps you know i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing (laughs) like like you know it is kind of rude this is a this is a religious place and mm-hmm. she just wants to to be sacrilegious and and bust in um which i mean in this case maybe she's got a good reason because there are giant yeti things killing people and there's a mystery she does, she says i don't like mysteries yep. um and it's not just like a mystery like ooh who stole the cookie from the cookie jar like not, not me <laughs> thank you um so it wasn't one of those it's like who is slaughtering all of these monks so i feel like you know i'm, I'm gonna give her a pass on wanting to get to the bottom of everything that is happening in right. this monastery mm-hmm. and then she sort of stumbles upon the uh, inner sanctum mm-hmm. and immediately says no no get out little child you mm-hmm. don't need to be here and then she runs 
Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's it's as far as she or we at least can tell, it's a disembodied voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that that voice sounds totally chill for a while, and then suddenly gets really intense. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, that would probably freak me out. Um, also, you could hear the monks in the background running around, getting closer, and the mm-hmm. voice you know is saying it, you pretty much shouldn't be found here because that would be seen as sacrilegious you better run like it's it's good advice and she follows it it is it's intriguing that uh that this disembodied voice of padma sambhava who we see the hand of at the very least um is looking out for her perhaps has use for her i don't know why uh, he would warn her away or perhaps he sends her straight into the arms of a of the newly revived yeti mm, that's true he, he might know about that yeah it's it's interesting because at this point, we don't really know if Padma Sambhava is a good guy or a bad guy or just, you know, a, a character with uh, complex motivations that d- doesn't really fall into one category or the other. I mean, anybody who has, has you know, hung with a doctor before and speaks so highly of his mind in a not... Like, he's not talking about the doctor like a great adversary. He's just saying the doctor's mind is complex and on another level. And, you know, I'm not sure if he would he would agree with this. I feel like there are a lot of really good characters in the history of Doctor Who who feel that way about the doctor. So, um, since I don't know a lot about this story and I'm not entirely sure where it's heading, I, I, I'm still kind of like, huh, I don't know. I'm not withholding anything from you because I don't necessarily remember the details of uh, of what's to come. Although the abbot looks like he's uh, certainly Abbot Song Sen there because he he tricks um, uh, <laughs> the gullible guard who gets tricked everywhere, Rappertchen, uh into going outside, and then it looks like he's like marshalling Yeti forces outside of the mountains. Well, he's not entirely a gullible guide be- guard because in the first place, um, I'm thinking Travers bribed him or something to mm-hmm. get out because uh, as the narration in the, um, the the BBC narration and the recon that we're watching, we heard Fraser Hines say that, uh, you know, okay, the Rapuchin is told, don't let this guy out, don't let anybody out and walks away. Travers is still there, and the narration says, and Rappuccin's face turns from something to scheming or something like that. Mm-hmm. So obviously he's got an idea. So he clearly lets Travers out for whatever reason. We don't we don't know, and maybe we'll never really find out. But, uh, but that's why Travers gets out. And then he lies to mm-hmm. the doctor about uh, saying, no, 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 I totally was told that he had permission and he could totally leave, and then that's not the case. And he never really gets dressed down for that. No, he doesn't. Um, but the, the one person who gets dressed down by himself is Creesong, who like sort of like he's he, early in the first couple of episodes. It's almost like he's the villain of the piece, like tying mm-hmm. the, up the doctor and everything like that. And now he's suddenly like very repentant and like saying, "Oh, I have failed, and I must not rest until I do." You know, what, what did you think of Creesong's sudden turn? You know what i I don't think it was a turn. I think that was really him sticking to his his character. Mm. We even heard, have the doctor in this episode saying he's just doing his duty the way that he sees it, mm-hmm. and I guess that's what he's been doing this whole time. I mean, I, I just thought he was a, a power hungry a power hungry dude who was like, "Oh, do I really have to consult the abbot for everything?" Right. Now that I've seen the abbot, I'm like, "Well, you know what? Maybe if he maybe at his heart, he really does just want to protect the monastery and he doesn't necessarily feel like the abbot is um totally existing on the same plane the that 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 the rest of them are." Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, if if his core motivation is to protect his people, um 
I think that this is he he realizes he has failed at that and that's why he's really really upset and uh, it makes perfect sense. I just I think it's a I think it's just a really complex well-drawn character. Mm. Yeah, I think it is too actually. Um I'm intrigued to see where it goes because I don't remember where it goes from this point for Norman Joseph Cresson. What do you think of the different actors playing the different parts in the, of the uh, of the Tibetans in the monastery? Well, besides the fact that they're not Tibetan, which we've already covered, mm. um I it's hard to tell when they're not moving, but but I like it. It's interesting. Uh, I, I really I quite enjoyed the scene with the two guys uh, who had made the spirit trap around the yeah. around the yeti, and just the way that they're talking back and forth. And there's some poetic lines, and and uh, and yeah, it's just this is. I feel like this is a very well written story. I, I it's those two guys that I wanted to focus on because I find. Like, you know, there's there's like uh, Norman Jones as Cresson sort of has like, you know, the mustache kind of thing, which is sort of somewhat meant to look like kind of like a Fu Manchu mm-hmm. kind of thing. Rapu Chan has kind of a droopy mustache in that regard, too. Um, but Tom Lee doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily made up. But those two guys, Sapan, I can't remember the other one's name. I find that you can even tell in one of the stills, it almost looks like on the side of his face that his skin is like sort of being pulled back as if to like make his eyes more slanted perhaps. And they do, they speak in the same sort of higher pitch sing-songy kind of, you know, faux intelligent kind of thing is what a lot of uh, um, UK people at the time sort of saw as people from the Far East. And it sounds, it, the reason it, it, it struck me this time around is that it reminds me very much of the voices of the actors who played the sensorites. And the sensorites were sort of seen as kind of like a um, allegory for uh, China sort of opening up to the Western world. And so they were sort of played as, it's, so it's that sort of, you know, that sort of fake Chinese uh feel to it which i think was just sort of a thing that that actors did in those days or perhaps just what existed in 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 popular culture at the time i just find that kind of fascinating well now i like it a lot less um but but i i do appreciate knowing that because that's that is the kind of thing that it's important to recognize and interrogate and i i guess i wasn't looking closely enough at the at the stills to see Mm -hmm. that they had their eyes taped which is awful i I could be wrong about that because it's it would literally be the only two people that would have Mm -hmm. like you know that would Mm -hmm. sort of be tried to look different than what they are uh, for that Mm -hmm. yep but uh but yeah, I would. I definitely would not have noticed in the uh, um, about the vocalization. I just, I just sort of saw that as a, I'm removed from society sort of thing. But you're right. Now that you point that out, it is an I'm removed from civilization <laughs> sort of thing. As if yeah. people from the east are not civilized, which is so ridiculous mm. because they were civilized way before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but uh, per- performance wise, other than that, mm. I I did enjoy their. Um, just their little back and forth. I thought that the actors had good chemistry with each other. Yeah, I thought so too. Also, I, yes. I really enjoyed the part where Victoria comes in and one of them is about to tell Victoria, your friends are going off into the dark onto the mountain in the middle of the night. And the other one is just like, like just steps all over his line mm-hmm. to say, oh, you know, they're fine. They're safe, which is both kindly and frustrating because you know it's nice that they want to protect the feelings of this person who is their guest Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's like oh she's just a girl so you probably you know don't worry her pretty little head so 
yeah, I, I, I contain multitudes. I can feel both ways about that, that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perhaps they just don't want conflict or they don't want anyone to sort of like fly off the handle and get all <laughs> just everyone just be calm, be chill in the monastery folks. That's sort of, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Anything else about uh, this year episode before we uh, we head off into uh, this good night? Um, well, you mentioned we saw Padma Sambhava's hand, and I don't think we actually did in the stills, we did. did we? Okay, because I know it was described, but very, I don't remember. Very briefly on the side of the screen, you can see, okay. but I imagine you probably would have seen it move, obviously, in the actual episodes. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's that. Yeah. Um, like chess pieces around or something kind of like yeah yeah the yeti the yeti um models like yeti minifigs <laughs> that was those were awesome as soon as i saw those i was like sweet yeah you can get those for forbidden planet i believe now no you can't but <laughs> i i don't like stuff so i wouldn't want them mm-hmm. but if i were a stuff collector kind of a person i would totally want uh like a yeti chess set or mm-hmm. something like that i don't know i don't know what you'd put on the other side but uh well, actually, I suppose you'd have to have different pieces to indicate the different uh, different pieces in chess. So it couldn't yeah. all be Yeti, but that would be a perfect thing. Like, I know there's a Doctor Who chess set, yeah, but I, I suspect it does not have um, Yeti as part of it. I don't know, though. I don't... I think there was. I remember the Doctor Who chess set uh, was given away a piece every two months in Doctor Who magazine. Wow. Two... How many... There's, what, 16 pieces per side, so 32 pieces... Every two so sixty four months what? to put together this chess set. I remember. I never got any of the pieces, but I think one of them was. I think they came out with another one at some point mm-hmm. later on. And I do believe that the the Yeti was one of the oh, okay. knights or something like that on the on the evil side, black side mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that makes sense. Yeah. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I like that, and I do like a sort of relief map where you can move the, the pieces around to, mm. um, just, you know, for planning warfare or whatever. But when it's actually moving the actual Yeti on the mountainside, that is that is infinitely cooler. It is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You enjoying the story, then? I am. I'm really liking this one. Yep. Well, good. Well, I look forward to talking about it with you on the next episode of this year's podcast, Lazy Doctor Who. On the incomparable.com. <laughs> Bringing it around. <laughs> <Yep>. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye.